Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What does an 18-year veteran of the tech industry and a 20-year veteran of the military have in common? More than you might think. Welcome, everyone, to the, the Second, Second Act podcast. podcast, leveling up your life's journey. You've been up to some interesting things, John. Is there uh, anything you want to kick us off with? Took some time off, yep, as, as we practice what we preach here. I am in the journey of my second act, and so I've been up in Connecticut for some training. Um, and it's been a whirlwind, but I'll tell you what, having the background that I've got and knowing that we have to start over from scratch, and it's, again, a learning curve, and talking to so many of our guests previously, I'm able to really get some inspiration from from the show and from from the people we've talked to. So, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, it's hard not to get inspired. Since we've recorded some episodes and gotten going here, we're starting to talk with some of the most interesting people around the world. Um, yep. Us talking to someone in Berlin, uh, talking to someone in Brussels, and just people stateside, and just the incredible journeys that they've been in and are on with their second act. And I was invited actually to this presentation recently about this organization called Curious Cardinals, which was started by college students during the pandemic. And they've okay. created this mentorship, this very curated, customized mentorship program between college students at some of the most well-known universities and K through 12 students. And some of the things that they're doing to help them take an idea from concept to launch. And I was like, wow, that's, you know, that's a really cool sort of adjacent space to some of the things we're doing who are folks actually in their professional part of their lives. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, kind of with that said, we've got Shanna on the podcast today with us, who's going to share her amazing story uh, with our audience. We know it's going to resonate. Shanna's a 23-year veteran of the financial services industry, where she most recently had the role of Managing Director of Corporate Strategy at Charles Schwab. But past positions include Chief of Staff to the CEO, Head of Retirement Income, and Head of Strategy for major asset firms such as Schwab, Janice Henderson, and Voya Funds. Shanna is an expert in strategic planning and leadership development, has leveraged her experience and expertise to launch a company called Prima Consulting with a focus on helping others succeed in their professional pursuits by embracing their strengths and authentic leadership style. Prima Consulting's approach is centered around fostering inclusive cultures where all individuals bring passion to drive their organization's purpose. We know all too well here on the podcast that those two <laughs> elements are critical uh, yeah. in persevering and pursuing and really turning something into a success. I think without those, that, that would be pretty difficult. Uh, but in Shanna's early life was, uh, was tough. She grew up as a, in a single-parent household uh, that could only afford the basics, but not letting the circumstances stand in her way she was driven to propel herself to a new level, reaching academic and professional milestones that she'd only dreamed about as a kid. And the journey to success was, was not without its own hardships, but these events created opportunities to pause and reflect and redefine what success really means. And outside of work, Shanna likes to spend time with her family and all the great outdoors Colorado has to offer. Uh, as well as throwing in a trendy restaurant once in a while. So you must be a foodie, Shanna. Yes. Uh, so we're looking forward to this conversation. Welcome. Welcome to the Second Act Pod. Yeah, welcome. 
Thank you. Thank you, Michael and John. So good to see you guys. Um, thanks for the opportunity. Um, like I said, I've watched a number of your um, sessions before and just such inspirational people to learn from and to, you know, get engaged with. And it's just been really fun. So I'm, I'm honored to be here. Thanks so much. Well, we're, we're excited. Um, man, what a great introduction. Part of your story already resonates with me because I came from a single parent household where we were hoping that groceries would show up on our front doorstep. And my wife had the same history and she had her and her sister grew up with our single parent and a lot of tough times, but it brings about a great story of resilience and, and um, determination. So I'm excited to hear this, um, but I'm going to start off, if you don't mind, Michael. Uh, yeah. I understand, Shanna, you are are an actual, you're a unicorn. You're a native to Colorado who grew One up here. One of the here. 12 of us, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I walk around daily and ask people if they're from here and it's, nope. uh, yeah, there's 12 of you. I think yep. most of them are up in Denver. So, but but tell me about your childhood and, and growing up in that you know, single parent household and how that kind of shapes some of your thinking, um, in those fundamental years. Yeah. Um, thanks John. And I, it's, it's really interesting when you meet people now and how Denver is now and how much it's changed. It was not like this 40 years ago. Um, it was definitely a much more blue collar, um, workforce. We didn't have nearly as much of the, um, educated workforce and, and just even generally around when I go to, you know, when I talked about trendy restaurants or I'm a foodie, it's because I didn't eat out at all as a kid because there was nowhere yes. to go. So I love, I love that Denver's grown and there's, you know, different cultural foods and people from different places to bring us all that. But, um, growing up originally, um, was a little difficult for me. I was raised, you know, primarily by my, by my mom. My biological father was kind of out of the picture since I was about five and, um, left us in sort of a, I guess, a really rough financial predicament. We lost our house. We had to move to an affordable apartment. And when he sort of disappeared, my mom wasn't really working. And so my mom had to start working multiple jobs just for us to get the ends to meet. And we relied on my mom's friend's network um, yeah. a lot of the time. And this is one of the things I think about is we view back where we come from is what did we learn along that journey and you know for me relying on your network i always say i was an orphan of a village um she worked a ton she had shifting work hours and i'd be dropped off at somebody's house in the morning so they could eat breakfast and walk to school and then someone else would come pick me up and no joke i'd be picked up by perfect strangers i'd never met and they would pull up to the curb and say shanna and i'd say yes and they'd go peanut butter and I'd go okay and I'd hop in the car and off we go yeah. we had our little password so I knew the person was nice. gonna um, kidnap me yeah. and I'd be taken to my mom's place of work or somebody else's house and I just I really learned the importance of a strong network because with all that we're all doing all the time between trying to be amazing parents and amazing partners and great in the community and good at our jobs it takes a village to make, you know, everything yes. come together. So that was one area that was really important to me was um, having that network. And my mom, but, it, you know, my learnings kind of continued. At nine, my mom went back to teaching. Um, she taught before she met my father. And um, I was lucky for her to meet my stepdad, Tom, and my amazing stepsister. And while we didn't have money, because teachers, especially back then, didn't make anything, um, for the first time, I really had a lot of stability at home. But with that being said, we lived in a lower income community, and I ended up going to a pretty rough high school. And yeah. there was gangs and drugs and teenage pregnancies and dropouts and all the things. Um, lots of different cultures, um, English as a second language, new people coming to the country. And while there were some traumatic events like I got jumped once um <laughs> and oh that was gosh. a little scary but uh I ended up really learning how to sort of be scrappy and really how to work with people from different backgrounds yeah and how to appreciate where other people are coming from and so that's kind of the second area that my childhood taught me is really um within the network that you're in how do you really appreciate people as individuals and then 
you know, kind of the third area is my mom was the first to of her family to go to college. And while my family, her family's military, they're very hardworking. They weren't exactly with the reputation of book smart. And so I'd never really been taught. We never talked about learning or intellection or any of that. And my stepdad was extremely intelligent. I mean, unbelievable and intellectual and read history. He taught English. He was from Scotland. Like there's all these, you know, things that were, I was totally unexposed to. And we'd sit on the couch and watch Jeopardy every day. And he could literally answer more <laughs> questions than any of the contestants. It was um, unbelievable. But it really got me to think about thinking. And, you know, I never really thought of myself as smart, but he pushed me to think and to question and to learn. And I don't think I would have done that without him. Sure. And so when I combine the background of building relationships to to help your village survive, the hardworking genes that I really came from and working within those communities and then the desire to learn, it just set me up for success. And I really appreciate the hard upbringing because it made me stronger. And so I always say, while I was a little rough getting out of the gates, I was able to pull ahead in the race. That's awesome. We've certainly heard similar stories to um, those early childhood experiences helping shape and propel people to what they're yeah. doing today. Um, but you you zoned in on, or zeroed in on rather, uh, the community uh, playing an important role of that for you. Uh, you know, who knows how things would have turned out if you didn't have that strong community that your your mom uh, was a part of and, and that helped you sort of make your way through early childhood. And then yep. having those different perspectives um, from your stepfather, from the school you went to, to uh, the Denver area um, back then and, and uh, it going from blue collar to more sort of uh, professional white collar type jobs, I think really played a very interesting role and in, that probably helped develop your own career path. So tell us a little bit about yeah. how those circumstances led you to achieve some of those those things early in your life and um, and we'll go from there. Yeah, I, going into college again, you know, wasn't something that everybody in my in my family history had done. And so I was one of those my mom's like we can barely afford 4 years. That's all you get. And I said, "Okay." She did not give me parameters of what that four years contained. And so I took winter session, summer session, um, extra classes, 20 credit hours a semester. I got two degrees um, in four years. And I just really pushed myself because I was like, this is the only opportunity I get. Um, and so really pushed myself through. And surprising to everybody, including me, I ended up graduating um, top of my class. And um, it was a class of 5,000 graduates. So it was... Pretty cool. And so yeah. as that um, position set me up for my career success, I was recruited by um, Arthur Anderson. And for those of you who might be listening to this that are less than 40 years old, <laughs> that was one of the big five accounting firms. And we call the rest of you the final four, and that's fine. Um, but I, it was like the career path of dreams for a finance sure. graduate. It was, you know, we didn't have PE and venture capital and all those things back then. Getting into the consulting gig um, was really kind of the career path of choice. And so I was there for about a year. And then a little company called Enron um, yeah. got in some accounting trouble. And their accountant happened to be Arthur Anderson, uh, who ended up getting indicted. So within two weeks of the whole incident, I was unemployed and my entire career Gosh. path went to crap. <laughs> And I'm sitting there with a new car loan, a very expensive apartment, um, going, I don't have a job and I don't have a paycheck coming. Wow. Uh, so I ended up scrounging my way through various connections and interviews and got into asset management. It was never my plan to ever go into investing. Um, but at 23, there I was in asset management. And um, I ended up getting into a job in product development, didn't even know what that was. But the role really required me to do research, to know my competitors, to think about how we're positioning, to solve people's problems. The first project I worked on was how do we create income for people who retire? And that was, you know, 25 years ago. Um, and still, by the way, we haven't solved that yet, but, um, but I know people are working on it. But um, so it was just really fun to, to do all this research. 
lots of long hours, a lot of hard work, but it was fun. And then at 25, um, so just two years into it, my boss got fired for insider trading. Oh. And I was left alone. And I mean alone, like yeah. three levels above me was the CEO. I was just like, there was nobody in between us. And I was like, all right, this is going to be hard, but I'm like, we'll figure it out. I um, used the network that I'd already started building to really figure out how, where what I needed to do and how I was going to get ahead. So while being terrifying, huge jump in my career. Um, I was working with top level executives across the industry. I was creating really cool products. We um, created an underwriting syndicate with like investment banks. So I was working with the Merrill Lynch's and Morgan Stanley's and Goldman's of the world. Um, I was even, I even attended the New York um, Stock Exchange bell ringing and oh, was that's awesome. podium. And I'm like, so 25 was like kind of the pinnacle of my career. <laughs> so um, I, it was really fun, really hard, but a lot of hours, a lot of, a lot of work, but it, it helped me really learn the networking in the industry and the competitors. And so when I was recruited back to my hometown of Denver, I was in Arizona at the time, um, I took a job. And because of sort of everything I'd been through, I was recruited in as a director at the age of 28. And which is pretty wow. uncommon yeah. in Jeez. the finance world, let alone oh, yeah. a female yeah. um, to be in a director role at that age. And so I learned that, you know, really a lot of it was I wasn't afraid to put in the hard work. I wasn't afraid to put in the time. I was okay with not knowing everything and trying to figure it out. And um, it really ended up helping propel my career going forward. Wow. Shanna, uh, the one that's an amazing Amazing, amazing trajectory, you know, after school and getting out and working up into consulting. And, but I want to go back when you're at Arthur Anderson, you think you're at your dream job. What are you, 23? I was 21. 21. <laughs> 21 at your dream job. You're like, life a, was solved. I was good. You're like a professional <laughs> athlete. Um, let, let me bring you back to that point. You, you talked about having an expensive apartment. You've got a car loan, probably a nice, nice car. Yeah, You're 21. Infinity. I didn't even know that was a car until I was like 20 <laughs> to 20. <laughs> yeah. But here you are. You think you're set. And Arthur Anderson closes its, its shutters. What? You know, I, I would think that a lot of people at 21 think, oh, my gosh, my life is ending. I've got nothing else going on. And, and you know, probably back then, moving back in with your parents wasn't such so in vogue. But what no, are you, you didn't do that in the 90s. That yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What do you, what's going through your mind at 21 when, when you got that weight of a car loan and apartment and, you know, things going on, you're trying to build out your life. Yeah. Well, and just, I was 21 when I got the job, 23 when I was on point, doesn't matter. Okay. I'm still a spring chicken, still a yeah. spring chicken. Yeah. Um, you know, it was one of those things that going back to how I was raised, especially from my mom, cause I called my mom and um from a landline with a cord and uh you know i call her and i'm like mom i just lost my job. and she's like okay then what are you gonna do like all right move on and so um i just was raised that like you'll figure it out just go just don't stop like don't like sit and wallow in your misery don't like you know oh woe is me just yeah. go figure out something and she said just take something that can pay you like you know how to wait tables like just go do something until you can figure out what you want to do. And so I ended up actually going to a headhunter, a recruiting firm, and saying, I need a job. And at the end of the interview, they hired me to be a recruiter. And <laughs> I'd never been a recruiter, never, you know, and it was a horrible job, hated it. There's nothing yeah. like, two, it was 2002, right after um, the tech bubble burst. Oh, yeah. And I'm calling firms being like, hey, do you want to pay me an extra 40% to hire someone? And they're like, I just laid off half my workforce. Yeah. But it was a job. Jeez. So, you know, a lot of it is just, I just was like, I'm just going to keep going. Um, yeah. I, I had I had a roommate. So thank God she was like, I'll, you know, float you for a little bit. I did sell the car. Um, <laughs> so I, and back to how I was raised, it's like, just, you know, it was a good lesson, to be honest, about living within my sure. needs. And ever since then, it's like, I don't overextend. Like, I've yeah. always been like, I can't buy that until I can pay for it with less. Like, let's That's figure good. out what that looks like. But yeah, um, I also think it was just a different time. I, I, yeah. I do think 
my pa- like you just didn't move back in with your parents. And so they were like, I don't know what you're going to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Not> my problem. <laughs> um or they didn't have any money so they couldn't give me money um i and it's just the i think we get into a mind frame that is very much i need to do what i want to do all the time and i think some of it is sometimes you just have to do what you have to do yes um and the goal of that is to be able to do what you want to do but there is a time where you have to suck it up yep and so you get, you find yourself in product development and I've spent 18 years in tech. So that's, that means one thing to me, but it means something maybe similar, but different in asset management. So it just really briefly, is there uh, just something you could share with our audience just so they can crystallize what that means uh, in, in your former world? Yes. So I know, and it's funny because he- the product development term of the tech did not come until after I was already in product development. Yeah. And so people are like, I'd get like pings on LinkedIn saying, oh, you're a product developer. Do you want? And I'm like, I don't even know what language you just spoke to me. So I like, I'm out. Yeah. Uh, product development in, think of it as the old, the old, the true old term, like a pharmacy. They need to develop the product. It's R&D. Yeah. And so okay. it's in, in asset management, it's the incubation tank for the mutual fund or the um, close the um, hedge fund or whatever comes out at the end that you get to invest in. That's okay. product development. Okay. So a lot of what the work is is researching industry trends, and so the trends I've been through are stuff like long short. Um, okay. You know, figuring out leverage, figuring out income payments, figuring out security and that no downside and downside protection. I mean, mm-hmm. every trend that comes along in our investment realm goes through product development. How do we solve this problem? Yeah, and um, and you also need to know what your competitors are doing and trying to stay either equal with them or one step ahead, and so again, it's like creating the widget that we end up going putting in your four hundred one k. Interesting, yeah. So I mean, you have a, a problem to solve, like you I think you alluded to earlier. How do we create um, an income based vehicle for retirees? There's a, a vast array of assets you can put into. Uh, an end product that will deliver that, but you can never guarantee future returns on that. So I, I imagine there is quite a bit of, of research that goes into that process. Very interesting. Very interesting. And a lot of failure. Yeah. Basically, you say it's there's a lot of failure. I, the the yep. rule of thumb is if a third of your products ever make it to five year record, then you've won. Like oh wow, wow. okay, it's it's pretty tough. Okay, <laughs> which is wow. probably the same I think in pharmaceutical R and D. Like not not yeah. not a lot of it ever hits Main Street. Okay, so you're you're successful at product development inside an asset management firm, climbing the ranks to leadership roles. But there's some ups and downs in that path. Tell us as you're you're past consulting into asset management. Tell us a little bit about that journey and help our audience understand that it's not a straight line to success. <laughs> I I think. For me, really, success was something in my head about getting to a certain point because because you didn't because it was like what you saw on TV. It was, you know, Wall Street or um, yeah. is it a working woman or you know, like you it's like you kind of get up the right. There's this like ma- mindset of what success is. can i can I stop you real quick? Yeah, did you have success defined in your mind at that point? Yes, did you oh, you did it. Title and money. Okay. Okay. The funny thing about that is it's a moving target. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you get to the level, you're like, I want to become a director and I'm going to make 150000 And then you get there and you're like, maybe I want to be at the next level with another. <laughs> like, So it's never stops. And then as you think, like you can truly get overwhelmed with those two definitions of success yes. in the sense that, yeah, you can be a CEO of one company, but there's a bigger company. And you can become, you know, like you can always just, a mat like if that's your definition there's oh there's never an end there's Always never like, yep, more check yeah did that yep and so i think with that mindset of this is what success is that a lot of other things get put on hold and a lot you so all the focus on the job in order to climb that corporate ladder really impacts stuff other places and sure for me it was really home and so um i actually married my high school sweetheart at 23 years old and we got divorced at 27 
because we just really grew apart because I was so busy working mm. and he was doing his thing and we just grew in two different directions. And so, yeah. you know, it, it's hard to learn that at, at, at that early of an age. Um, I did end up meeting my current husband um, in the industry and we met at a conference in 2008 and we've been married for almost 14 years. Wow. And the, I think that both being from the same industry really helped us stay together through that climbing hump because you understand what's going on, right? You yeah. understand why yeah. they're not home. You understand yeah. what they're dealing with at their office, the pressure that happens in, in 08 and in 11 and uh, yeah, 19, like every, like every couple of years we have some sort of crash. And so you really understand what they're going through. So that actually helped us grow together. Um, and it, um, we, I ended up having my son in 2012. Um, and I had a, terrible pregnancy um and with the after the rough pregnancy the stress of the job i was doing the pressure to excel my husband was traveling i had a toddler at home it really started to take a toll on my health and i just kept you know because i'm young at this age i'm in my early 30s i'm just like kicking that health can down the road i'm like yeah, whatever i'll figure it out later yeah um yeah. and when we went to go have a second child um my it was just too hard on my body um and i was young and we lost um, three babies in about a year and a half. And um, I know a lot of people don't talk about it, but it's one of those things that a lot of people go through, especially in these career pursuits where you're not sleeping eight hours, you're not eating um, normal meals. Like a lot yeah. of my meals came in a wrapper um, yeah. for a lot of time. Um, the time you are home, you're trying to spend with, family and so you're you're you know compensating in other areas like sleep or um, working out and um nobody talks about it nobody says what the physical toll is or mental toll on on some of this pursuit of the success that we keep defining um so i decided i'm not doing this anymore and i was like i need more balance in my life and I ended up taking a job at Charles Schwab in 2015 and Schwab was a great company for what I needed in that I could continue to pursue my growth as an executive and a leader, um, but they didn't require the crazy work hours that are normal in our industry because they had just a West Coast mentality versus the <laughs> East Coast mentality. Uh, yeah. They also were in different areas of the industry. So asset management was just one part and having other things like banking, which has, you know, bankers hours, yeah, um, really helped that balance of how much should people be at the office. So it was perfect for what I needed. And um, while we weren't able to have um, more children, that balance um, at that point in my life really helped me reset my health. I went through a lot of um, health therapy type stuff, different diets, different exercise programs, different medications to get my health back in line, got to spend time with my son a lot more um, as he was growing up. And so that was exactly what I needed at that time. And, you know, I think all in all, as we think about it, it took me a lot of incredible and terrible losses yeah. in order to reevaluate where I wanted to win. And back to your question, John, about how did I define success? This was a huge pivotal moment in my life where I was like, I'm going to redefine what success is. And the title and the paycheck are no longer the defining credentials yeah. of that. We're wired at such a young age in terms of what success should be and what it yep. should look like, um, especially people who come from more humble beginnings, they they want success to be the things, right? And they'll do whatever the it takes. Right, we didn't have the we things. We didn't have the things. Like a car was a big thing. I mean, my mom didn't even have oh. a car for times when I was yeah. growing up. So to have a car, let alone a luxury car, was like, you know, you've made it. But Damn. people shouldn't have to get to the point where something like catastrophic or a series of catastrophic, catastrophic things happen for them to get rewired like what can we do to rewire society to think about success differently and it's not a question that i mean maybe you have an answer to shanna but i like just an answer put to be a millionaire yeah yeah i mean <laughs> yeah. but just to put that out there 
uh, we've heard from guests talk about the pandemic and being stuck in a house and married to your work, like 24 seven in your house, being a, a catalyst for them to change your perspective and rethink what's important. Hearing stories like yours um, yeah. are, are helpful for people to reimagine what success is. You know, Michael, I think, and, and Shannon, this is a question for you, what you would do differently at 23, 25, what you would tell yourself yeah, um, that would change maybe that trajectory because I feel, you know, here we are three professionals who have gone into our second acts and what we would tell ourselves at 23 and 25, 30, it's now whatever that thing is, that's our obligation to go out and tell a 23, 25 or a 30 year old mm -hmm. to help them to bridge that gap so that they don't have the same, the same issues, the same catastrophic events in their trajectory before they get to this point where they say, man, I've got to change dramatically. What would you tell yourself at 25? You know, the interesting thing though is, so I, John, I'm going to kind of counter that a little bit with, okay. I do generational differences in the workplace. I do a program for generational differences. So I've studied the generations and I'm going to say, luckily the generations are kind of doing it on their own. So okay. I think us Xers tend to be like, why does nobody else work anymore? <laughs> right? Because of, because of <laughs> our experience of how hard we had to work right. to prove ourselves. And now we're like, nobody works. Like everybody's like asking for, you know, and that's not true. It's just they, the generations have seen the burnout, I think. Like I think my son and, wow. and you know, he's in the Gen Z and he's like, I don't want to do that. He, he's like, I do not want to be in finance. Finance looks horrible. <laughs> um, and it's yeah. not horrible, but I think like you just... You see the experiences and we saw a different experience from our parents because our parents were the boomer generation and the boomers were company people, one job. Um, you just stuck it through until the end, then you got a pension and then you yeah. like moved on. But there also wasn't the keeping up with the Joneses as much. Um, it, a lot of it was just, let's just get, let's just survive. And so now there's exceptions to every rule in every city, but for the most yep. part, America was much more do your corporate job, do what you're told, get your pension, retire at 65, die at 78, right? Like it was kind of a straight line <laughs> um, trajectory. And we all said, I want more. And so we started getting TV shows with 90210. And we mm. started get right? So we're like, ooh, I want that. And then we're watching Friends and they live in a New York apartment that literally is like five times the size of my apartment in um, Phoenix. And they're like, oh yeah, I can totally afford this being working at a clothing store. Or a coffee <laughs> shop. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, yeah, playing a guitar. And she lives in like four bedroom apartment. And so yeah. um, I think that we started to be like, I want that. And the only way at that time to get that was to work harder and more yeah. because there wasn't, I mean, we didn't have the internet when we started working, right? Yeah. There wasn't like these ways to streamline or to be more efficient and effective. And so luckily what I th see happening, millennials, yes, definitely the Zers is they're like, I can do the same amount of work in half the time. If we hired these interns and we're, you know, all of us old people um, are sitting there being like, okay, we have them for six weeks. We need to give them enough work for six weeks. We put together this whole roadmap of all the things they're going to do in six weeks. And I'm not exaggerating. Every single intern comes in and within three days, they've automated the thing. They've built a macro. They have a program and they've gotten that. <laughs> and they're like, yeah. what do you need me to do now? And we're like, five and a half weeks left. Like, so I, I think that we are going to, as a society, see that there are going to be people that need, I mean, doctors are good. There's not a whole lot of ways to streamline some of the stuff we do, right? So there is still some of that. You just have to work the hours. But with the efficiencies that we're creating AI, yeah. I, I mean, I think about how long it used to make me to uh, take me to make a PowerPoint because I had to think of the icon that meant partnership. And I'm going yes. through in my head like a thousand different ways to show partnership with a stupid icon on PowerPoint. And now you can just type in icon for a partnership and boom, up 40 cut, you just cut one and put it over. So I think that they're learning that they don't have to do that kind of hour and time. So yeah. um, I think we're in a better spot than we were from the sense of the overwork. Okay. What I would tell my 25-year-old self is it's not all about you. And I think that's still the case. So I think as far as advice goes, 
it's not about me succeeding. It's about us succeeding. It's uh, not sure. about me solving the problem. It's about us solving the problem. And I think that goes to your intimate relationships with your significant other, to your nuclear family, to your community, to your neighborhood, to your workplace, but to the world. Like, I am not going to solve what's happening to the planet. You are not going to Like, it's not about me. It's like we all need to get together. So I think we're all selfish in our 20s. <laughs> Find me somebody yeah. who wasn't. And, <laughs> um, and I think if we could tell our 20-year-old selves or the next generation, they're better at it too. They do see the global impact, but I think you still get yeah. caught up with the selfies and the posts and the who cares what I'm eating for breakfast situation. And maybe shifting that mindset to a little bit more how do we create the right efforts as a team versus making sure people know what I'm up to. That's really yeah. good. I've definitely seen some of that with the younger generations that I've worked with, that they are more purposeful uh, in the past that they choose and they they think about it more globally or holistically um, within their communities at work and their friends and their family and things like that, um, better than maybe my generation and the generations uh, before me did. You know, another important sort of dimension of that is finding the right cultural fit, which you found at Schwab, correct? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So you were at Arthur Anderson, which I know that that or any big four, big five consulting firm, that's grueling. Then you went to an asset management firm that seemed like it wasn't the right cultural fit and and you paid a price for that. But finding that right cultural fit work-wise, I think plays an important role um, in delivering your best work and delivering it with a purpose, yep. which is... Uh, Maybe it leads us into, you know, some of the things you're doing now. Uh, but before we get to that, I want to just, was there a moment at Schwab where you're like, okay, I see that, that the light at the end of the tunnel is happening for, for this part of my career. I know I want to do something different and start my own thing. It, yeah, I think I never thought of going out on my own. On Growing up, I was like a company girl through and through. I used to play banker when I was little. Like we're talking like five. I have a little briefcase, my little stamp, and I'd be like in the corporate. Like that was what I was going to do. Working Girl was one of my favorite movies. So, um, you know, just being in the company setting was sort of what I planned on always doing. Um, but I... In 2017, I ended up starting to do some coaching and like leadership development with my peers. I was leading a really strong team and people were like, how do you do it? They seem to be really engaged and sort of just trading tricks of the, you know, tricks of the trade with internal secrets with friends. And then um, Schwab paid for me to get trained in what's called Gallup um, Clifton Strengths Finder. And so I started to use that tool to help individuals. And I started to think this is kind of rewarding. And, <laughs> you know, in the finance industry, we always joke, you were just making rich people richer is sort of our job. Um, and because you're taking people who have money that can invest it and trying to grow it to, you know, bigger. And that's not what they, it's not, it's not what um, the industry is for. The industry is to help all of us reach our you yeah. know, long-term goals with finances and money. But being in the product development side on that back end, you just never see how it impacts the client, right? Like by the time a product yeah. I worked on hit market, it's nine months after I even stopped working on the project. And then uh, by the time it actually has a track record and you see if it worked, it's five years later. Yep. So feeling that disconnect between what I'm doing every day and the impact that it's making on another human was missing for me. And this knack, so when I started coaching, this was like, okay, this is kind of cool. And so I said, um, when I started coaching, I was like, when I'm 50, just pick a number, any, any number, I'm going to retire from corporate and I'm going to do my <laughs> own gig part-time. That was the plan. And so <laughs> that plan, that was the plan for a couple of years. And then I moved around jobs in Schwab and I realized that I wasn't really being fulfilled. I, I, I wasn't feeling valued for the work I was doing from the corporate perspective as much as I was feeling valued for helping peers and other um, coworkers of mine reach their goals. And at this point, I was much less motivated by title and money because I was like, that, you know, I don't want to run the company. That's not worth the time um, hey. away from my family. And so um, I started to say, this is not filling my cup in the, in the work I'm doing enough. And 
with huge support from my husband, my parents, and my great stepsister. She's like, what are you going to do? If they all know, just go. Um, <laughs> so uh, I decided to jump off the corporate ship and start my own ship six years early. Um, oh. And actually, it was one of those things that I wasn't even planning on doing. That I just said, I'm going to do it. Let's go. <laughs> um, and off I went. So right off the little plank. <laughs> and so. just figuring it out. Like, I mean, it's very consistent with your with your life journey. You just you're in a circumstance and you just figure it out. So exactly. you make the leap. You start Prima Consulting as your second act. So tell us about the beginning of that journey and how it's going. You know what? It's honestly the best decision I've ever made in my career. I love what I do. My clients have been great. I get to also say I don't want clients. So that's also nice because, nice. you know, in your own job, you have yeah. to like, take what they give you. And I'm like, ah, you seem like a lot. I'm out. Um, so I get to work with people that really are driven to make a change for themselves, for their group, for their team, for their firm, whatever. And I love that. Like people that are excited about working with me. Um, I get to set my own schedule. And that's yep. great because my son is in two competitive sports. <laughs> and I don't know if you guys have kids in competitive sports or if any, like, I don't know how these people plan on anybody working. Last yeah. summer, I like was across the entire country with one sport <laughs> and it's just, it's insane. It's insane. And they're like, oh, we're going to have a tournament for 11 days. What do you, what do you, nobody works anymore. So, um, so that's been great. I always joke, um, my office is closed on Friday and yep. so we don't work on Fridays because I don't want to work on Fridays and that's what I'm going to do. Um, so I've really loved the impact that I see too, like working with somebody and watching them, aha, uh -huh, watching them go, oh, I never thought of it that way. And I, I love that, that change in my people's perspective of why somebody's coming at them. I have, you know, an example, I had a person I was working with that is like, my boss hates me and he treats me like, you know, this and this and this. And I was like, well, have you ever like thought that maybe he's intimidated and afraid you're trying to take his role? And he's like, no, 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 he's just a jerk. And, da, da, da. and I'm like, nobody shows up and wants to be a jerk. That's not our, that's not in our DNA. It's not yep. what we do. But he's probably behaving a certain way because you are always kind of, you know, up showing him up a little bit. You do have more experience than he does. So sit down and have a conversation with the guy and be like, I'm not after your job. Like, yeah. we're good. Let's partner together. And so just seeing people go, all right, I'll try it. And that, you know, ends up working out. He's like, yeah, he like, you know, it, we're now we're great. And you're like, tough. Um, so being that, that, that sound voice when you're, when the person is in that emotional adrenaline like thing is yeah. so fun to be, well, let's just take a step back and let's see if maybe we can think about this in a different way. Um, but then also just seeing the impact that it makes when people are happy in their own skin, when they build the confidence to present at a conference or to present in the boardroom, when they build the skills to be able to ask for the bigger job and to for people to say, yeah, we've really been seeing you step up as a leader. Um, we'd like to give you more. It's just so much more rewarding for me. It's been great. That wow. sounds awesome. Is there an element that you're seeing consistently with your clients that um, everybody seems to be maybe lacking in that next next stage of what they want to do inside of what they're they're pursuing? I think it depends a lot on where they are in their career. So I wouldn't say there's sure. one thing. I do. Yeah. I am developing a program right now to help Gen Zers specifically enter the corporate workspace. Okay. Because what I saw a lot, especially when I was at Schwab, was young people asking for a promotion like six months into the job. <laughs> and while they have been busting their tush and doing the best job they possibly have ever done, it's more responsibility than they've ever had in their entire life. And they think they're killing it. Us Xers are like, come back to me in seven years. We'll talk. Right. Like we would, cause <laughs> the, the time frame commitment perspective is so off. Yep. And so, but there's also skills that as adult, as, as, the more we get through our careers, we've all developed and we forget that those were developed through mistakes and yeah, tripping yeah. and banging our heads against brick walls and all these things. And so the program I'm looking at is, can we teach some of those durable skills that you can take to any job yeah. and teach them at an earlier age than we all learned? 
to help them from skinning their knees and bumping their you know faces against the brick wall. Um, and so that it's things like how do you take critical feedback? How do you um, how in a corporate setting do you ask for the next step? It's not saying when do I get promoted. That's not that's not going to go well. So I, I think you know some of the coaching is generational. There's yep. a lot of similarities when you start breaking up the generations. Um, I also think a lot of people have been just thinking about what about me mm-hmm. and training on a little bit of the, if we think in a bigger team perspective, sometimes we have more impact. Yeah. Oh, I love that. The team aspect is near and dear to my heart, but uh, let me ask you um, to go back. You deal with strengths, people's strengths. How much did you learn about yourself when you started Prima? Mm. How much did you recognize within you as being a driving force? And and what did you learn as being a detractor? I, you know, it's funny because with strengths, I did it back when I was 28 and I moved over to director. I did a strengths thing. Yeah. And the assessment that came up was, oh, yeah, wow, I'm a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I was, woo is my number one. Like, you know, I was, I was like, I was, and I was like, oh, I am a lot. And so I started to use that strengths profile as how do I want to show up versus how do I naturally show up? And where do I need to tap into some of the other areas so that I can be stronger and less a lot? And especially as a young woman in finance, you don't want to be a lot of a lot. It's yeah. just, it's never going to set you up for success. So how do we less a lot and more of the other things that are in that profile that I probably wasn't leaning into as much stuff like strategic. Um, I would just blurt out the first thing that came to mind. And the reality is I do have the ability to put like all the Legos together and figure out what the piece, the puzzle is and be like, oh, here's how we could do it better. I just wasn't using that. Yeah. Um, I think individualization is one of those where it's about you being able to see other people as individuals and really identifying their unique skill sets, strengths, capabilities, uh, motivations, and leveraging those to get things done. And I wasn't doing that enough because it was still the me story. It was a lot about, well, I'm going to do it and I'm just going to figure it out. And kind of working through those years to be able to be like, oh, that person's an expert and they do it better than I do. So I'm going to be able to relationship with them. Um, so good news is because I did it at a young age, I was able to a- adapt. And then when I retook my strengths, things moved around um, okay. when I was about 35 to better reflect, I think, who I wanted to be because I was sure. very intentional behind it. And we still evolve. And so that was sort of through the corporate world. In the Prima, uh, I leveraged different parts of my strengths profile than I did in corporate. Um, and so I'm finding myself kind of going down to some things that I haven't paid attention to in a long time and working on building those into stronger strengths for me through learning, through, um, practice, a lot of practice, uh, (laughs) through, uh, I'm terrible at selling. I hate sales. Um, and so (laughs) like having to ask for money, like makes me get all hivey and itchy. (laughs) Um, but I have a very good winning others over and a very strong, um, communication. And so figuring out how do I tap into those two together so that it's not feeling like a dirty sales. It's more like I'm doing something to help you and we're, we're working together. So I've been trying to tap into areas that I've sort of put in some reserves because the role didn't require it before. And that's what I love about strengths. You can, you can sort of look around and be like, I'm not using that much, but this role requires it. What's the, what do I need to do to make that stronger for me? For, for those who are unfamiliar with the Gallup strengths process, um, what's sort of the, the basic version that people can understand about what it's all about? Like help, help the audience understand that a bit. Yeah. So, um, Gallup created this, it's about 40 years old, 40 million people have done it ish. And it's a, it's a personality assessment. You answer a bunch of questions and it kind of says, here's how you show up. And if you think about it, it's what are your natural tendencies and behaviors and so it's not all good um the fact (laughs) that i like to win others over is really great (laughs) when i'm doing it well it's really annoying when i'm not doing it well right so um the example i give is command i've high command 
which I'm allowed to, I have no problem hopping up on a stage and giving a presentation. I have no problem controlling a bad situation. I'm the person you want in a car when there's a car accident. Cause I'm like, you go do this, you go do that, you do that. And I don't panic. Um, however, when I'm super stressed, I become the person who just barks orders because that's where my mm. command comes in. So like I said, it kind of shows how you show up naturally and there's good and bads to both of those. So what we, and I think an example here is, do you think on your feet? Like, are you able to kind of just reel things off or are you the type of person that takes in all the information, processes it by yourself, puts together a conclusion and comes back to the table, right? Mm. Yeah. Um, do you tell stories and metaphors and kind of colorful language? Or are you the person that always has the plan that's step-by-step, step, very detailed and very thought through it, right? What's your natural way you show up? We all could laugh because we all do one or the other, right? And so- uh, I'm laughing because you're describing, I think you're accurately describing Michael and I. So um, <laughs> yeah, I won't sure. tell you who's who. Not but... <laughs> intended. Oh, I, could, I can already tell you. <laughs> Without him giving me assessment, but- so what I think, um, what I like, and I use those examples for um, specifically, but what I get to do as a coach is say, okay, here's how you naturally show up. What do we need you to be able to do well that you're naturally good at? And where are the gaps? And so as you think about something like, here's who I am today, yeah, good and bad. Here's who I want to be. Here's how I want to show up. Here's what I want people to think of as my brand, as my reputation. What's the gap? And that's where I focus my coaching is how do we learn skills and techniques to make what you do naturally more productive, more effective, more impactful, and also more natural because you have to practice it. So it's various tweaks in how you respond to things or um, truly like tricks of the tricks where you're like, and I want you to hold your breath whenever you want to say that. From now on, every time you want to say <laughs> that, you just have to hold your breath. That's it. Like, you know, and it's so it teaches you to like, step back, calm down yeah. in yep. situations where your natural instinct is to fire off. And so as a coach, we get to take what you naturally do and build it into a strength. Wow. So you're helping Good. people become the best versions of themselves based on those inherent attributes, which is, yeah, yep. that's cool. Versus the old way is we all think when we got into work is I want you to make, I want to make you a, a like me. Yeah, yeah. Right. Think of your first yeah. boss, your first corporate boss, your 20 something, no nothing. Right. Like, <laughs> and you come in and they're like, do this, 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 and this. And you mess up and they're like, well, why did you do that? And you're like, I don't, I, I just did. <laughs> the old way was to make us them. Yeah. The new way is to make me a better me so yeah. that I can help you be a better you. And the reality is you end up with better results when everybody's, you know, maximizing their natural abilities versus trying to fall into a box that feels really uncomfortable. Absolutely. Yeah. So your client list is growing and congrats on the early success of that. And I, I've learned a lot um, about the process that you use with Prima Consulting. But for our audience who are contemplating or just getting started in their second act, what are some of the key things or, or things you want to, like most important things you want to leave our audience with as we start to wrap things up as, as they're, they're in that, that journey? The transition thought process. <laughs> um, you know, three things come to mind, and we talked a little bit about it earlier, is really that take inventory and find out what your definition of success is. And our definitions have evolved from where we thought. And so are we still on that train track yep. to go to that place of success? And we should have be we should be veering right because that is not even where we want to go anymore. Right. Like yeah. all of a sudden we're you still headed to Chicago and you're like, I kinda wanna go to Kentucky. Like <laughs> you know, um it seems calmer, it seems nicer, it's warmer. It's you know, like so are we on are take the inventory and what I did when I started kind of thinking about leaving corporate is I had that false sense of security in your corporate job. Um, but if you're really not happy, fulfilled, you don't feel valued, you're not excited about what you do, does that security sort of become more like a prison? Yeah. And would you be better served giving up some of those things, whether it be making less money or giving up status and title within a firm in order to do something you're truly passionate about? And so we talk, Like we said, we talked about it earlier, like what would you tell people? A lot of the times we have to hit a catalyst 
for us to make that switch of, wait, I want to do something else or wait, I'm not happy. And I ask people to constantly think about, am I happy today? Not because I had, you know, lost a, a baby and lost a, you know, had a miscarriage or not because I lost my job or not because, you know, whatever, I got divorced. Um, let's ask ourselves if we're happy just because it's Tuesday and take that inventory and find out where you are in that fulfillment of your life and what your definition of success is today versus what it might have been 10 years ago. Yep. Um, the second thing, let's say that you decide to move on, is is others. <laughs> like, I don't know how many times in the last eight months I've tried to recreate a wheel that there's <laughs> 7,000 wheels out there. And I'm just like, I just need another one. Um, there's so much to learn about from the technology you use to receive your payment to... Yep the best sales technique to how to close business to who the accountant is that focuses in that kind of a business. Like just use other people, like find other people that you can build that network so that you can learn from them. Um, I, you know, I, I, I talk a lot about you're not alone and you're not the first to do this either. Mm. And so can you build some relationships? Um, I've built some with other coaches who are my competition but that allows me to get to learn from them, to leverage things that they've already done and both commiserate and to celebrate when, you know, you have your wins because you've got this yeah. group of people around. So definitely you build other networks, use other people for sure. Um, the last piece of advice um, that I would give, and it goes back to what I would say to my 25-year-old self, is um, if you haven't learned yet, Learn how to fail, fail fast, and get over yourself. Um, I hate sales. I told you that earlier, and I have <laughs> to do it. I have yep. to ask people for money or it's going to be a not productive company. Yeah. And so um, learning how to do that takes time to be effective and takes even more time to be comfortable. And so learning how to be like, well, that didn't work. I'm going to try something else. Go back to that network, try and learn from them so you can try again. But don't get disappointed just because you messed up one thing. If you messed up, say you messed up, apologize yeah. if necessary, dust yourself off and learn from your mistakes. Like and there's not a lot else that advice I can give you because you're going to mess up, I promise. <laughs> so um, try and learn along the way and don't be too hard on yourself. Wow. Shanna... <laughs> Uh, I think we would be friends. Uh, we, <laughs> we'd have a lot to, uh, to talk about and, and commiserate over, but uh, today I just loved hearing your story. I loved hearing, you know, rags to, to modest riches from, to, you know, tumultuous times to, you know, working on your own and being your own boss and just figuring it out, getting over mistakes, starting over, learning from others. It, incredibly valuable lessons that you have experienced firsthand and, and you're now passing on to others. So one, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for thank you. Um, opening up today for us and for our audience and just sharing some of that story. Cause I think it resonates with so many other people who have started on their second journey or maybe contemplating starting on their second journey. And one, again, thank you for that. And, and I'm sure now, after hearing your story, our listeners are interested in learning more about for sure the Prima and you know your consulting and maybe just connecting on a different level. So, how would they best reach out to you, and how can you um, be accessed? And you know, I am open to people to helping people however I can. But uh, you know, really, where I do focus, and I want to you know, from the coaching perspective, is um, how can we help people become better at who they are and and what they want to do and so if you're ready for that type of thing i you know would love to, to partner with you um my website is sw uh prima prima.com and there's the ability to connect with me on there but it does talk a lot about who i am and what sort of um, experience um, i provide i do really love doing team engagements that's one of my favorite things to do where you go into a team everybody does a strengths assessment and then you learn about each other, how you naturally show up. You can, it's really fun because you can start actually making fun of yourselves <laughs> and being like, that's why I do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and everybody goes, oh yeah, you do that all the time. 
So um, it's fun. It's it's a great way, especially post-merger or acquisition or reorg, oh, to okay. get the team to re-engage and reconnect with each other um, in a fun way. So those are one of my favorite things to do. Wow. Well, we'll be sure to um, include links to your information in the episode details, and we look forward to uh, sharing that with our audience. So um, thank you again for sharing a window into your life with us today. And I know you've given our audience plenty, plenty to think about. So I know this is going to be a slam dunk episode. So thank you. Thank you guys. It was really fun. And uh, good to meet you, John. Good to see you again, Michael. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Jenna. It was, it was an awesome conversation and we will look forward to talking again next week. See ya. See ya. The second act with Michael and John stars Michael Newborn and John Ballinger. Podcast is produced by Seltzer Kings. For more information on the show, check out michaelandjohn.com. Or if you'd like to get involved in the conversation, give the guys a shout on their socials at The Second Act with Michael and John on most platforms. Thanks for listening. Oh, yeah, yeah.